0: Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, Msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com.
1: Content warning. This episode contains discussion of a disappearance and addiction issues.
0: A lone woman wanders through the night. She's young, just 26. She's small, standing 5 foot 2 inches and weighing only 115 pounds. Her brown hair is tucked into a gray cap. She's hauling a white bag. A long black coat protects her from the chill. It's long past midnight and it's dark out. The woman is not from this part of Indianapolis, this stretch of the East Side. Her former boyfriend lives nearby, but he's not here now. She came up to this place after work to go to a local bar with her ex and his friends, strangers she barely knew. The evening didn't turn out as planned. She got drunk. She vomited. She was kicked out of the establishment. Things got heavy. Things got heated. So she left. And so, hours later, she paces along Short Ridge Road. She's not really going anywhere. She's just walking. Her phone is dead. Her mind is probably reeling. She's been going through some stuff. She's moving back and forth, up and down the street. Surveillance cameras take in the scene, like so many robotic eyes. They are watching her. Somebody else is probably watching, too somebody who sees this woman out there alone and realizes that this is an opportunity. Nobody knows exactly what happens next, though. The cameras can't tell us how or where exactly the darkness swallowed up this woman. But we do know that Kirsten Bruggeman hasn't been seen since and that she needs to be found. My name is Anya Kane.
1: And I'm Kevin Greenlee.
0: And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast.
1: Annie and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees.
0: Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the Murder Sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout Season 1 to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We're The Murder Sheet, and this is Wandering Into Darkness, The Disappearance of Kirsten Bruggemann.
1: Before we begin, let's get into the barest facts about Kirsten and her disappearance. On January 1st, 2021, she got off work on Indianapolis' south side and took an Uber up to an east side bar called Manly's Irish Mutt. She met up with her ex-boyfriend and his friends there. She became intoxicated and the group was tossed out of the establishment. After becoming angry, Kirsten separated from the group. She was last seen nearby, walking through the YMCA parking lot at 501 North Shortridge Road. Then, she disappeared. We'll get more into the details of all of that later. This is a very active case. You'll be hearing from Kirsten's parents. The Indianapolis police detective currently running down leads. The Indianapolis Star reporter who wrote a definitive piece on the case. And a group of local sleuths. So many people care about Kirsten. We want to get her story and their stories out there.
0: But first, let's get to know Kirsten a bit better. She was 26 when she vanished. Her name is pronounced Kirsten Bruggeman. Her mom is named Lisa. Her dad is Rex. She also has an older sibling from Rex's first marriage named Eric. Kirsten grew up in what her family calls the Working Man's section of Lawrence, a city on the northeast side of Indianapolis. The Bruggemans moved there when she was 18 months old. That's where she was living at the time of her disappearance.
1: We interviewed Rex and Lisa about Kirsten several weeks ago. We talked about her entire life, from the time the couple picked out their unborn daughter's name, all the way to the present.
2: Since my last name is more or less German, um, you'll find that name also in other Germanic countries, Denmark and and uh, oh my wife wants me to shout out, but anyway, I just wanted a German name. My my son from my first marriage is named Eric, and then uh, we, we just kind of like Kirsten.
3: I'm sure Lisa's going to correct me. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, for me, it was that I had a friend who had a niece. was one of the first times I heard the name, and I really liked that. So when we were, you know, trying on names, I liked that because nothing to do with it being more German. but I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> we were able to get a sense of both of Kirsten's parents over the long conversation. They're both Hoosiers who've led what Rex calls pretty boring middle class lives. Rex is chatty, quick to call himself out for talking too much, with the brutal candor of a man who's faced addiction issues himself. Lisa is quiet, sensitive, and always willing to share memories of her daughter. The first time I talked to Lisa on the phone, she told me that she'd watched true crime programs about missing and murdered people for years. Not once did she ever expect to find herself, and her only daughter, at the center of one. The anguish in her voice was palpable.
1: Her parents are two people in a tremendous amount of pain, who are still willing to lean into that pain in order to seek answers about their daughter. Needless to say, we really appreciate them speaking with us and sharing Kirsten's story, despite that pain we feel like we got a much better sense of what Kirsten was like as a person through speaking with them.
3: Very stubborn from very early on. You know, I, I guess I can say, looking back, should have known because um, she, was, she was actually Greek. Um, so I had to have a C-section. And she was actually sitting. Um, it was like she did not want to come out what well, the doctor said maybe put you in oh. for an exam well and yeah the doc the doctor thought the day before that her head was down in place and everything and it yeah, turned sure. out it, it wasn't her head <laughs> uh, so but um, she was uh, you know she was she was funny um, she liked playing with dolls and her animals. And, uh, but like I said, she, she could be stubborn. She, uh, I, we, we went out to dinner one night for our anniversary and we had a friend stay with her and, uh, she, I, I guess my friend had, or she wanted to, to do something. And my friend had said, no, we're, we're not doing that right now. And she went and sat under a table and my friend said, you know, she expected her to just sit there for a couple of minutes and, and then come out. And she said it was for the longest time. She says, "I've never seen uh, <laughs> a child this this stubborn before." She was probably about three at that time. Yeah, and
2: the woman that friend of Lisa that was watching her was a licensed social worker, so you know she knew a little something about child behavior. But uh, the point is, she was pretty stubborn, even from an early age. She, she walked at eight months. And once she did that, there's no stopping her. She crawled out of her crib uh, when we lived in an apartment. How old was she? About six months, maybe? Yeah, maybe a little older. But she, you know, not that this is uh, unique, but she crawled out of her crib. And next thing we we didn't even know that she had done that. And she comes, uh, I don't know if she's crawling or walking into into our bedroom. <laughs> we were like, how'd she get in here? And uh, i mean, sure all parents have funny stories like that. But it just got kind of shocked us that she was able to, because we thought we had her secured there. I mean, we had the side of the crib pulled up and all that. Somehow she figured out how to get out of there. And that was just kind of, chance of so what was what we were gonna deal with and, uh, she had she
1: had a mind of her own. Kirsten graduated from Lawrence Central High School.
3: she was she was always a good student um, or had the ability to be uh, there were points later in her high school years that she didn't do as well, but she still graduated with honors. I, she lo- she loved reading. Um, from a very early age and, um, she, uh, she, she always loved animals. Um, and like I said, she, she could, she was pretty good at anything that when she set her mind to it, um, she did play, um, soccer for a few years, and I we really had hoped that she would try out when she got to high school, but um, unfortunately, she decided not to do that. Um, the, the one thing that that we did have through several of those years was, um, you know, she, she talked a lot in class, and maybe she shouldn't. And so that was always kind of an issue with her. She liked to talk, Um, but she 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 was she could be funny. Um, She, like I said, she could be really sweet. Um, You know, she and I had uh, fairly early. I mean, I and I can't remember what years these were, but. We had, there was a particular show on Friday night called Providence on several years ago. And she and I made a habit of, of getting in bed and watching Providence every week. And, and she, she would do that a lot with me. She would, we, we watched TV and we read together. And, um, the other thing that I was lucky enough to be able to do with her was, We didn't go to just basic short vacations, particularly on like a fall break and even spring break. You know, she and I, we went to uh, St. Louis, we went to Cincinnati, we went to Memphis. um, We went somewhere in Kentucky, I can't remember where. Um, And then our last trip that I was able to take with her was, uh, we went to... Uh, New Orleans and Memphis, Um, that was after she turned 21, but, um, you know, that was the one thing I enjoyed, and I think she did too, um, was our trips together.
0: She loved reading the Harry Potter series growing up. She had a wicked sense of humor that could get her into trouble at times. Lisa told us about how when her daughter would sleep, she'd often giggle Lisa would wonder what exactly she was laughing at in her dreams. Kirsten also adored animals. She grew up with cats and a dog. She had a dog, um, Tifa.
3: It was a, a small pit bull. And uh, my husband and I weren't too sure of allowing her to bring this dog home because this was several years ago. And, you know, you hear about the, the whole uh, problem with pit bulls and, you know, we had a Malamute at the time and I just didn't want to take any chances, but, but she brought Tifa in and, um, she was one of the best dogs we've ever, that we've ever had. Um, and that, that was her dog. Um, but she also tried to, well, she rescued another dog that she brought home, um, that we were able to find a home for, um, she brought in a cat um, that um, was somewhat of a stray. Uh, One of our neighbors had the cat and basically just turned it out. And he was over here kind of eating, but she would bring him in and sneak him downstairs with her and everything. And, um, you know, she just, she also seems very comfortable with the animals, even, you know, if, if, And my husband will tell you that, you know, I'm usually a little worried when we have two or three dogs together, you know, especially if they're, you know, play fighting or whatever, that, you know, someone's going to get hurt. But she was always someone who said, they're going to be fine. And she knew exactly seemed to just know exactly what to do to uh, get them to be okay with each other. So, um. Yeah, she, she
2: was a kind of peacemaker when I kind, of, I, I
4: kind
1: of had a knack for that. Yeah. Kirsten was a force, a strong-willed young woman with talent and promise. But she was also facing her own struggles. The Bruggemans were incredibly honest with us about that. They told us they don't want to build up a whitewashed version of their daughter. Unfortunately, in the true crime space, there is often an instinct to create a false persona around figures at the heart of these stories, to suppress possibly relevant information in order to prevent victim-blaming, to save a person's image, or to attract more robust and sympathetic press coverage. But the Bruggemans are long past caring about any of that. They were frank about Kirsten's mental health struggles and her substance abuse issues.
2: Yeah, stuck after me, uh, more than anything. is a real nice, easygoing, <laughs> uh, goody-two-shoes girl. <laughs> when she was growing up, I was a whole alien, and I'm probably I was being paid back for some of that. But, um.
0: Rex told us that he has battled alcoholism as well. He lost his career in law enforcement over it. He's now been sober for 15 years.
2: We're pretty sure Rick, uh, Kirsten was an alcoholic. Of course, they tell you that you can't, you know, diagnose somebody else. They ha- You have to, yourself, uh, decide if you're an alcoholic or not. You probably know that or heard that. Or maybe, maybe I don't know what kind of program you're working, if anything. you just one of those was able to do it without help. But uh, I had to get... get Help there, uh, and you know, I blame myself in a way for that. You know, with some of problems for problems, whether she inherited some of my proclivities to alcohol uh, or substance abuse, never used much other than alcohol, so, and uh, or she just you know was around it and picked it up by osmosis. You know, I, I don't know, but or I tortured myself over that, and I tried to talk to her on. You know the last few years uh, that she was with us here, um, about why she, why she would even play with that when she'd seen what it'd done to her dad. But you know, until a persons ready themselves, they think they're invincible, just like I did until I hit my bottom. the bottom.
0: <laughs> In terms of recovery, rock bottom refers to a moment of clarity where an alcoholic or addict realizes that they have a serious problem and need to take steps to correct it. That means something different for everyone, but it's often some sort of external factor that shatters the illusion that you have your substance abuse issue under control. Without reaching rock bottom, it can be hard for an addict to even admit to themselves that things have gotten out of hand. Addiction is a disease that twists your own thoughts against you, Convincing you that the most important thing to do is to keep drinking or using.
1: From what her parents saw, Kirsten was not there yet. Her problems had been getting worse for years. And as a heads up, Al-Anon Alateen is a support group organization for the loved ones of alcoholics.
3: As my husband said, you know, when he had some of his issues with the alcohol, um... I got her into alatine, um, and I got into Al-Anon and um, she seemed to do pretty well with alatine for a while. But then um, there's just something in her behavior and her her attitude that you know um, somewhat
2: disruptive.
3: In yeah, she some she became somewhat disruptive in meetings and. Um, she was finally, which she was asked to not come back for a while until she could get herself under control. Um, and it was about this time that I, I ended up taking her for some counseling. Um, and they even, you know, she met with a counselor, I don't know, every two to three weeks, I believe. And they even had her go try Prozac. The problem was I tried to make sure that she took her medication like she was supposed to and um, kind of found out later that she she kind of hit it or, you know, just she didn't swallow the pill and, you know, she acted like she did and um, so, I mean, that was kind of when we, you know, knew that there were some issues. Um, there was one incident where uh, my husband wasn't home at the time, but she had uh, gotten angry, and um, I, she, like, you know, slammed her fist into a wall, and uh, I ended up... Uh, because I was I was worried and I was scared as to what was happening with her. And so I ended up calling nine one one and they did take her to um, a behavioral health clinic. Um, and we went there afterwards, and you know, she, by that time she calmed down and they weren't sure that there was anything that it was maybe just a momentary thing. And so they didn't even really recommend it, anything at that point, point. Um, and she had she all did has this, she did display throughout time um, anger issues. Um, I mean, like I said, she could be funny and kind and loving, but she could uh, she was also a, an angry young woman, uh, girl and later on
2: and we don't really know what the source of that is it could have been um, you know because she was a child of an alcoholic I haven't done much reading on that but I know that children of alcoholics have issues and uh, you know I'm well aware of some of the things negative consequences or negative effects I may have had on her but uh I try to avoid blaming myself. Sometimes I can't help. Or we both blame ourselves. We should have done this. We should have done
1: that. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be.
0: For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20 percent of your weight in one year in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. EMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to row.co slash msheet. That's R-O dot C-O slash msheet.
6: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery. Kirsten's parents told us that they felt her substance abuse issues came from her
0: desire to self-medicate her depression.
3: Not only was alcohol an issue but um and we didn't we didn't realize until much later how early she evidently got into to marijuana um but you well, know I'm like talking just an occasional use either I mean I know there's people that
2: use it recreationally and it's legal everywhere well not everywhere but a lot of places
3: um but she um you know, I, I think like a lot of people, she was self-medicating with it um, and she had this this issue that we couldn't I, I couldn't break through where you know she didn't want to take like I said the, the prozac or take anything she said that was not good that, that, that the marijuana was you know natural, natural and all that out wow. so, um, but I, I think that was, was how she masked some stuff from us for a while. Is we we didn't know that she was using, um, and so we didn't see some of the issues come out until a little, a little bit later after things had progressed. When did she say she started? She told you, that. In like eighth grade. Yeah. Well, that's
2: not
3: unusual today either. But her her senior year in. And it might have even started in her junior year in high school, is when I found you know occasionally she would um, she would crawl out her window, um, yeah. you know at night, and the only you know I would just happen to be up and and like look in or see that the the um, or even the next morning when I would see that the screen was out of her window.
1: But the major real alarm bell, in terms of her issues, rang only after she graduated from high school.
3: We had bought a car for her her senior year. Probably a big mistake. And she um, she got stopped on, on 70 for speeding. And what they found is they found um, the paraphernalia. And so um, that was kind of because I just, you know... Um, and I just didn't I just didn't see it um, and, until kind of then to, to even realize that she was using.
2: The point is, we'd been around people that used. Uh, we'd been to the uh, seminars and conferences about drug use, alcohol use. But here we couldn't see it in Home Guard.
1: Rex and Lisa had encouraged Kirsten to go to college. She would even applied to a few schools. She was looking seriously at Ball State University, or possibly Indiana University. Because she did not want to leave her boyfriend, she ended up opting for something closer to home. Specifically, Indiana University-Purdue University-Indianapolis, or IUPUI. A public research university that's a collaboration between two of Indiana's most prominent schools. Lisa took Kirsten to get enrolled.
0: Two days before the semester was slated to start, Kirsten moved out of her parents' house, moved in with her boyfriend at a hotel, and opted to forego college. She and her boyfriend lived on the several thousand dollars she'd saved for college. When she was strapped for cash, her parents helped out where they could. They now tell us they fear they were enabling Kirsten by providing her with financial support. Rex told us that he personally felt that plenty of people can do well without a college degree, but that the decision marked the beginning of a troubled, nomadic period for Kirsten.
1: She and her boyfriend got kicked out of multiple living situations. They struggled to pay rent. She worked at restaurants. He was sporadically employed. They both ran into trouble with the law. Kirsten's record includes driving violations drug possession, resisting arrest, and public intoxication.
0: Kirsten's parents said her romantic relationship took precedence over everything else in her life. Her boyfriend at the time was a man named Eddie Bradford. She started dating him her senior year of high school, although her parents didn't learn that until later. He seemed
3: like an okay guy, you know, I, I know there was one time he was going to become, I don't know, some sort of a salesperson for vacuum cleaner or something. And we let him come over here and he gave a presentation to my husband. Um, you know, he came and he he was dressed appropriately and everything like he was going to go, to, you know. Um, but he didn't have a very good um, upbringing either um so you know it, it just seems like they, they would get along but then a fight would break out and you know although part of me would like to say it was all of him it wasn't I yeah. mean she was as much an instigator sometimes I think as he was um but and then especially with the issues she had, um, you know, it, it was it just kind of blo- bloomed. Uh, you know, they would they would be together for a while and everything would be good. And like I said, then they'd have uh, uh, an argument, and um, I, I can't even begin to guess the number of times they were. You know, together and then broken up, and the different places they lived. um, It was a saga during all that time. Um, You know, and and I, uh, you know, I even said to them at one point that you know, and again, nothing about necessarily about either one of them, but that just that. I didn't think that, you know, I I thought their relationship had pretty much run its course (laughs) and that, you know, all that they were doing was, you know, getting back together and then being okay for a while Then an argument or something would come up.
1: The relationship could be very messy. Often when the couple was quarreling, Eddie would even call Lisa to ask for help calming Kirsten down. The drama could be a lot. But Kirsten's parents said she certainly thought she loved him. Like Kirsten, Eddie has a criminal history. We asked Kirsten's parents about one 2020 charge of his involving assault. They said that Kirsten was not the victim in that incident, although they did hear through some of Kirsten's past neighbors that her fights with Eddie could involve thrown objects. And when Kirsten was drinking, the altercations could be even worse. She could be a very different person while intoxicated. At the time of her disappearance, Eddie and Kirsten were on the outs once again. This time, there seemed to be a lengthy estrangement that set in. They'd been broken up for around a year by the start of 2021.
2: I still think she was a good person at the bottom line, but she just was being haunted by too many demons, uh, figuratively speaking, and, uh, you know, with some mental health issues she refused to deal with and it was very difficult to, to discuss things with her whether it was on that level or just talking about anything if she didn't want to talk about it she'd say i won't i don't want to talk about it just walk her off or just say mom or Dad, and i'm just storm out of the room and that was it you could never have like a heart-to-heart talk well, i think lisa may have a few times
0: At the time of her disappearance, Kirsten was living in her parents' house in Lawrence and working a job at a CC's on the south side of Indianapolis. One thing that people who followed this case have wondered about is why she was working so far away from where she lived up in Lawrence. We asked the Bruggemans. They talked about how it related to her complicated personal life.
3: Kirsten had, because she was in and out of our house. She was she had an on-again, off-again boyfriend for eight or nine years. And they would live together for a while, and then they'd break up, and she'd move back home. And um, Toxic
2: relationships, <laughs> I like
3: <classes>. Yeah. <laughs> and so she she worked, you know, I mean, she, she initially had uh, a couple of jobs around here. And then when they moved out, they moved downtown, and she started working down there. She worked at Noodles and Company for two or three years. Then they moved out west and she initially got a job or she continued to work at, at Noodles and Company for a while and then she went to a job on the South side. She had a she did have an old truck at that time. Um but when you know and like I said, she was in and out she was on um, house arrest a couple of different times. That's when, she, and usually that's when she would be back in with us and, um, you know, it's funny. I, I I remember talking to her about this because as Rex said, I, you know, we worked, or I worked for for 28 years and it always seems like people I supervised they would get a job where they didn't have transportation. And, you know, and I kept trying to tell her, you need something closer in case something happens. But uh, I don't, I'm not even sure, again, she just kind of applied for different jobs online and uh, got the job at CC's.
2: Now, if you want my opinion, I think she just, this is my opinion. She just wanted to be as far away from us as she could during part of the day, at least. So, you know, that's why she preferred to work in a job. I believe it was farther or some distance away. I mean, that's just my uh, thinking on it. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was always my attitude or opinion about it. She just not to be around
3: us. The one thing I say about her, again, very positively is that she was a good employee she was very um dependable um and in fact when she went missing um the day of the the second i i wasn't i mean i we were worried i was worried and i really did think something was going on but i knew she was supposed to be at work that (laughs) afternoon And so I was, I called down at CC's and talked to her manager and said, you know, if she comes in, would you have her call me or, or let me know if she doesn't come in? Because it was by her not being then going to work that day. I really felt again, even more strongly that something was wrong because she was very, um, like I said, very dependable. Um, she would always, She'd kind of work her way up to, like, a shift supervisor, that kind of thing. Um, and she was a hard worker. Um, so, uh, you know, even though it wasn't all of her jobs, you know, weren't necessarily just down the street for from her, um, she still would manage to be able to get to work most, you know, and be dependable.
1: But... Despite her steady work, Kirsten's issues around love and drinking would come to a head at the dawn of 2021.
6: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer.
5: With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Now that we've talked about Kirsten and her strengths and struggles, we can get to the night of her disappearance. As we mentioned, She and Eddie were broken up at this point, but judging from her behavior that night, she likely wasn't over the relationship. On January 1st, 2021, Lisa received a text from Kirsten. She didn't realize this at the time, but it was the last time she'd hear from her daughter. The topic of the message was relatively mundane. Kirsten said she didn't need a ride home from her job at Cece's on the South Side. She was going out with friends. It was a Friday night, after all.
1: Kirsten also texted Eddie about that evening. She asked him to meet her at Manley's Irish Mutt on the east side, near 10th Street and Shadeland Avenue. It's a squat, freestanding bar, painted green with orange trim. Kirsten clocked out of work that night at 10 p.m. She took an Uber up to the Irish Mutt. Eddie also showed up, along with his friends Jared Kramerer, Olivia Dufour, And Robin Lybrook-Hurt.
0: But it wasn't a night of fun. Kirsten got drunk. She got argumentative. She vomited on the table, leading to employees asking the group to leave. Then in the parking lot, things took a turn for the worse. Kirsten became belligerent with the other group members. She got into a verbal altercation with Eddie and then started punching Olivia's car, the group told Jake Allen of the Indianapolis Star.
1: The group later told the Indianapolis Star that during the fight, Eddie did press Kirsten on whether or not she needed a ride home or whether she needed someone to ring her mom, Lisa. Kirsten refused the help and then began punching Olivia's car windows. The group left her and drove away to a Beach Grove bowling alley, which is around 15 minutes to the southwest. They then split up when they found it was closed for the night.
0: Kirsten remained behind. She seemingly cut through some parking lots until she found herself on Short Ridge Road. She walked back and forth. We know this because the surveillance cameras picked her up. Let's get into the geography of this case for a second. Manley's Irish Mutt is along 10th Street. Google estimates that it takes about an eight-minute walk through a series of lots to get to the Harper J. Ransburg branch of the YMCA on North Shortridge Road. Right next to that YMCA sits the Abbey Meadows Apartments, an apartment complex. A fence runs between the Y and the apartment complex. This is the general area where Kirsten's ex, Eddie, lived at the time, although he did not live at Abbey Meadows.
1: And let's also break down a quick timeline of everything that happened. On January 2nd of 2021, Manley's Irish Mutt closed around midnight due to COVID-19 precautions, so the group would have had to disperse one way or another. Kirsten separated from Eddie and his friends around 12.15 a.m., and police found surveillance footage that backed up that account. About 15 minutes later, at around 12.30 a.m., Kirsten's phone died. She's last picked up on surveillance footage at 2 a.m. when she's captured in the southeastern section of the Wise fenced-in parking lot, right next to the Abbey Meadows apartment complex.
0: Unfortunately, a glitch caused the video to cut out around 2 a.m. and pick up half an hour later. By that time, by 2.30 a.m., Kirsten is no longer in sight.
1: For this part of the episode... We're going to let you hear from a few people who've delved deeply into this case. To start with, we've connected with a few local internet sleuths who started looking into the case. They're all from Indianapolis.
0: One sleuth will just call Fred. The other will call Fiona. Neither are their real names. Fred is an East Side local who used to take his family to the pool and basketball courts at that YMCA. I
7: go to the YMCA um or I used to where Kirsten was last seen and that's kind of what drew me to the case I saw something about it on the news um, and then some friends of mine posted some stuff on Facebook about her case and I just thought it was very odd that she had went missing you know somewhere that I visited uh, quite often I live in the area so I go to the I used to go to the Y a lot um, now I have kids you know and we'd go up there all the time and go swimming and play basketball and stuff and I would also drive by there a lot and go to the Kroger to get groceries and things like that and um, so every time I would drive by there I would you know think about the case and think about Kirsten and and um, I thought for sure that she would be found by now. But after a year later, I had um, I kind of forgot about it for a while. But after a year later, somebody had posted something else on Facebook, and I saw it, and it reminded me of her. And um, so that's when I started looking into it. I thought, surely there has to be some kind of lead, new leads, or something.
1: Fiona also lives in the area she has for years and she's got inside knowledge about that neighborhood.
8: I live in Indianapolis just a few blocks away from where Kirsten was last seen. Um, I frequent the area she was last seen. I've taken my kids to various classes at the Y where she was seen in the parking lot. I shop at the Kroger across the street. I use the post office nearby. I'm in that area almost every day. So I first heard about her disappearance when um, I believe it was when I saw a flyer in the neighborhood and then later saw a few posts on like neighborhood groups on Facebook. So seeing it, you know, my first thought was, wow, that's really close to home. I know that area really well. And then immediately I thought, you know, that could have been me. I remember years ago being out with friends, you know, having a few drinks and then walking either home or to a friend's house alone thinking, you know, nothing would happen to me. And i just thought gosh i'm sure that's exactly how she felt if something did happen um that she wasn't expecting so i was intrigued and started following the case um one just because i was interested Two, because i am so close by i was hoping to make a connection or um, help connect some dots maybe people don't know about whether it's the area or Um, I don't know, anything else that would be helpful, just being so close and so familiar with the area. And I've just continued to follow it the best I can ever since.
0: It's fair to say that the east side of Indianapolis in general is often labeled as one of the more high crime parts of the city. But Fiona notes that that isn't the only way to characterize the neighborhood.
8: So yes, there is a lot of crime around the area. I think it's a lot like the rest of indianapolis where you've got these pockets of crime right next to places that are safer i mean i have very good friends that live one street behind that parking lot and they have no crime in their area i mean i shouldn't say no crime but very low crime so i think living here you feel a lot safer than like what you're describing people that uh, may visit or not be familiar with the area I do not feel unsafe when I'm in the area. Would I walk around at night? Probably not. Would I walk around at night closer to my house? Yes, which is literally a few blocks away. It's kind of hard to describe. I would not say that it's a, you know, quote-unquote, rough part of the city. Um, But I think the east side in general, just the crime rates are higher. Um, So I think if you actually looked at, like, a map maybe you already have of of crime, it would be on the higher end, but I think when you live here, um, like, I would not have expected this to happen, you know, in the Y parking lot, where I literally have walked my kids across that same sidewalk, you know, in the evenings, not so much in the middle of the night, there are other parts of the city that I don't feel as safe in. There has been a couple incidents, like, in the Kroger parking lot, like, I know there's been, like, people that just got mugged in, like, the daylight. And that's been like a thing that we've been, you know, in the neighborhood being like, Hey, just FYI, this happened. Um, but I am there on a regular basis. I have never had any, and I've lived here now about 10 years, never even had anything remotely come close to me feeling unsafe. Um, it's there's police officers there all the time. I've had no issues at all. So I don't know. It's kind of one of those things that like land somewhere in the middle. I feel like it's, like I said, it, I feel completely safe, like my kids going to the Y and all that, but would I wander around at night? I probably would not, just knowing there's a lot of apartment complexes and things that I have just been told that aren't necessarily safe at night.
1: The sleuths were not just interested because the case was local. The fact that it was captured on security cameras, but still has no resolution, also intrigued them. They told us they were also deeply puzzled over the strange journey that Kirsten took that night.
7: Uh, I wanted to go over to that area and take a look at it for myself because I was puzzled by the um, by the by the fact that she was heading in that direction uh, because there was no way out in the back of the YMCA parking lot right there that's visible anyway or readily visible. And um, and so I want to check that out some more. And I, I saw a hole in the fence uh, back there behind the trash can where he could pass through the YMCA parking lot and go directly into the Abbey Meadows apartment complex.
0: And then there's the online sleuth who first brought this case to our attention. That's friend of the murder sheet, Tony Garner. You may remember his cool-headed, rational Delphi takes from our episode, The Delphi Murders, A Conversation with Tony Garner. Well, this is another case that's caught his attention.
1: He broke down a few possible threads to follow as far as the reasons behind Kirsten's disappearance.
9: I think there are three general categories of scenarios that are possible for what happened to Kirsten the night she disappeared. And I'm going to go from... Least likely to, in my opinion, most likely. And the least likely, I think, is that she decided to just hit the reset button in her life. And go somewhere else and start her life over. And the only reason we think that that could be a possibility is that, you know, she was facing a lot of charges for her drinking and she'd made some very difficult decisions in her recent past and it's understandable why someone would want to just you know go somewhere else and you know be someone else but this is very hard to do and especially if you don't have any resources and it's also something that law enforcement can track very easily there's been no movement on her accounts. No one's heard from her. Um, there just isn't any information to to validate that, you know, she just took off in the middle of the night to go and do something else. The second scenario um, I'm going to mention is that someone that she knew was responsible for her disappearance. And you can split that out. Maybe two ways. One in that something goes down that was totally unplanned and uh, the person that harmed her just gets rid of the body, etc. And the second is that it was a planned situation and that they had contrived and, and schemed to get r- rid of her. Uh, take her out of the picture. And I believe in in this day and age, with the data we have, with the forensics we have, um, that if police did their due diligence to research the people she was in contact with in, you know the last few days of her known whereabouts, that they would uh, have been able to to find some clues if someone, had been uh, in contact with her that that late evening that could have been responsible for her disappearance. So that brings me to my, my third opinion, and that is that someone saw Kirsten wandering around in that area between the Irish Mutt and the Abbey Meadows Apartments and the YMCA and took advantage of the situation. This is an area that is uh, that is very troubled. There is all kinds of crime in this area. Um, I've lived in Indianapolis all my life, and this is really a hot spot and has been in the last uh, number of years. There's um, There are sexual perpetrators that live in the Abbey Meadows Apartments and in that area. There are all kinds of criminal activity that go on at all hours of day and night there. The other point that I will make about this area is that there are a lot of open streets, alleyways. If someone's wandering around, you're going to be visible from a lot of different angles. So vehicles driving by, people walking by would 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 see someone now there were also a lot of security cameras so it seems likely to me that somewhere in that security footage you know there's some kind of clue to what happened to her other than what we know at this point
1: we feel that's a good assessment of the possibilities and we would ask you to keep those options in mind as we go forward
0: first Let's talk about a scenario where Kirsten left town on her own accord. She was facing legal and personal problems. According to this scenario, she may have just wanted to start over elsewhere.
1: Fortunately, we were able to get a chance to interview Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Detective Nicole Bachting, the lead investigator on this case.
0: We asked her if there was any evidence that Kirsten had vanished voluntarily, She shared a bank account with her mother.
10: So that all stopped. That is what convinced her mom that something was wrong because there were no withdrawals, but there was something that mentioned something about an Uber, but she couldn't quite figure it out. Um, she never ended up taking an Uber. I don't know if she had ordered one or not, but in the end she didn't take an Uber. So, um, Well, let me say, Lisa had said that she had not made any kind of um, withdrawals from that account. She has not done anything on Facebook, and I have not had one credible sighting of her. We did have one come through, but it's not her. I mean, it
0: looked a lot like her, but it wasn't. For us, all of that seems to be a pretty significant mark against the possibility. It's hard to disappear without a trace, without a lot of money, or intricate planning.
1: So, what about the idea that Kirsten was harmed by someone she knew? She and her ex-boyfriend Eddie had fought that night. Things ended on a bad note with her and the group of Eddie's friends she'd seemed so desperate to hang out with. Then, there's also the hypothetical that Kirsten knew someone else in the area that she opted to meet with.
0: Well, let's break all those points down one by one. We were not able to get in touch with Eddie. Obviously, his relationship with Kirsten was complicated and stormy, to say the least. And in cases of missing people, looking at a current or former romantic partner is usually a good place to start. So we asked Rex and Lisa what they thought of the possibility that Eddie was involved in Kirsten's disappearance. They said that early on, they wondered if that could be the case, but they've since changed their minds.
2: I think he's just as upset about this as we are. I mean, that's just my, I can't really give you evidence of that, but I just, this is a feeling both Lisa and I. Yeah. And I never hated the guy. I thought he was a decent guy and he was evil, evil, but he just, you know, he had some adjustment issues too and you know, based on the way he was raised, he was honest, uh when he was talking to you, Admitted, admit it. Didn't he? But no, we I mean, don't think he had.
3: I mean, it would be I mean, and of course of you know, everybody um ask I mean, all of our friends and family ask us that. Maybe, the, first, <laughs> the first person we look at. Um significant and honor. you know I the the thing is I, I I just don't think that he could keep it together and that I mean this long. If if, if there had been something that happened um I just don't see him being able to have maintained um, his innocence all this time. Um I mm-hmm. think have, have Blurred blurred, yeah, blurted something out or somebody would know something. And.
1: The murder sheet was also not able to connect with Eddie's friends who were with Kirsten that night. But we have talked to others who interviewed them extensively. Here's Jake Allen, a reporter for the Indianapolis Star. He wrote an in-depth article on the case back in March 2022.
4: Actually, I had gotten a tip from one of my friends uh that is from the east side of indianapolis who had heard about this case because he'd had um he had mutual friends with kirsten uh so that's how i first heard about it and then i realized that we at Star hadn't covered the story when she first went missing some of the tv stations in indianapolis had covered uh had covered the story when she was first reported missing and I think maybe a TV station did a story, you know, like a three-month anniversary of her disappearance, but we hadn't covered it at all, so uh, I thought it would be good to dig into it since uh, it had been more than a year since she was reported missing and they still hadn't found her. The first thing, uh, the first step in my process was reaching out to uh, Kirsten's parents and seeing where they were at uh, since it had been more than a year since they reported their daughter missing. So she was the first step. And then, uh, going from there, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted to meet with them in person. So they allowed me to come into their home and interview them and talk about who Kirsten was and, uh, and all of that and all that stuff. Um, you know, just who she was and the circumstances behind her disappearance. So I sat down, um, in their home for you know quite a while and talked with them uh, after doing a phone call initially, uh, and they were you know eager to talk. They've been willing to talk and do whatever whatever they can to get the word out about uh, Pearson's disappearance. And then uh, I did I did get lucky uh, that the detective assigned to the case was willing to speak with me as well. I know a lot of times law enforcement. Uh, Whether it's missing person cases, homicide cases, whatever, a lot of times the detectives aren't allowed to speak with reporters. We have to go through public information officers for that sort of thing. Uh, But she was also, uh, Detective Boxing is her name, she was also really willing to speak. And um, she also sat down and talked with me in person and just wanted to help get the word out about the case as well.
0: Jake also tracked down the other people Kirsten had been with that night. He talked to them. We asked his impression of the group.
4: It was interesting, uh, especially because um, the two women that were with Kirsten, uh, from my understanding, they didn't know her before that night. That was the first night they met her. Uh, So it was interesting to hear, you know, even though they didn't know her, how this was still something they thought about a lot and how it had impacted them. You know, since uh, they were some of the last people to see her before she went missing. Uh, and then um, I also talked with Kirsten's ex-boyfriend who she met up with that night. Um, and that was interesting as well, just hearing the impact that this has had on him. And uh, I know that a lot of people uh, who don't know a lot about the case might try and point to the ex-boyfriend as a suspect, so... It was interesting that he was willing to talk and, um, uh, you know, share his thoughts on everything and, and be open about his perspective on the night, even though, um, you know, some people might try and jump to conclusions. From my perspective, I think that everyone I talked to, uh, you know, they were they were speaking to me in good faith.
1: We also asked Detective Bakting about the group that was last with Kirsten. She said everyone aside from Eddie barely knew Kirsten. The investigator confirmed she has talked to all of them and said that they've been fully cooperative with the investigation.
0: Remember, this group drove off to Beach Grove after leaving the Irish Mutt. We imagine that investigators are able to confirm that with phone records. Members of that group would have had to get back to the east side and track down Kirsten whose phone died around 12.30 a.m., according to Detective Bachting, in order for any further confrontation to occur. And the surveillance footage does not show Kirsten heading towards Eddie's Eastside apartment. So all of that makes it difficult to point a finger at any of those individuals. What's more, Detective Bachting has publicly cleared Eddie and the rest of the group in a recent Disappeared episode. But what about
1: unknown contacts? We asked Detective Bachting if she turned up any connections between Kirsten and that area, other than Eddie.
10: As far as I know, she only knew Eddie. But speaking with Eddie, he told me that she would ride the bus over to that area. She would ride her bike over to that area. She did not have a vehicle to drive. So she was only able to get there by bus or bike. And they did hang out in the area sometimes. But I know that She's probably not familiar with everything around that area. But from what I understand, Eddie and Kirsten had been broken up for over a year by the time that, you know, she went missing. He said that he hadn't even really talked to her for a year and thought that it was a little strange. But um, he wanted him to go over to the
0: Irish Mutt. We also asked the detective about Kirsten's movements that night. Some have extrapolated that she was going to meet someone, that she had some sort of determined destination that she was heading towards. She was intoxicated, wandering around. Um, video did show her stumbling in
10: the parking lot, but what she had done, she uh, was walking northbound and southbound on Shortridge, basically back and forth. It didn't look like she had any kind of plan on where she was going to go. Her getting into that parking lot at 158, that she was coming from Shortridge. So that's where she'd been the whole
1: time. So that is beginning to sound less like a woman traveling to meet someone specific and more like an intoxicated individual wandering around aimlessly. And Kirsten's phone rules out certain possibilities. She had not been texting with anyone other than Eddie before the disappearance. There were no plans to meet up with any other person concealed in her phone records.
10: I have to say, though, it's a big area that I got back on the phone records. of Like I'm saying, a mile where that phone could have been because if she, it died. It died in a certain area. She still could have had it on her person, but in that area, to look for the phone would have taken. It would have been very difficult to find it had she dropped it.
0: Detective Bachting also stressed that Kirsten did not know anyone who lived at the Abbey Meadows apartment complex.
1: So, now we have to start heavily looking at the third scenario outlined by Tony Garner. That's the idea that an opportunistic predator could be involved in this case. It's a devastating possibility, because it means that this young woman could have simply found herself in a vulnerable state at the wrong place, and the wrong time. But if that's what happened, then how can we go about finding answers?
0: Well, Detective Bakting is certainly looking closely at Abby Meadows. One discovery that she's made is that the apartment complex has endured a lot of issues in criminal activity. There can be a lot of late-night bustle there of a seedy nature. So that is one potential source of leads.
1: Another fortunate aspect of the investigation is that Detective Bokting was able to pull extensive surveillance footage to better track Kirsten's movements.
7: From
10: the YMCA video I received, I received three different cameras, South Lot, Outdoor Pool, and pool gate. I also received video footage from Cisco. I only got three videos from there, so that would be three different cameras. However, I'm waiting on to get the fourth video that I have not yet received. Other than that, that's all the videos that we have. I did check the area for more videos. Um, That took me quite some time,
0: but um, it seems like nobody has cameras. And police have made progress with this investigation. One important angle involves a vehicle of interest, a dark SUV that was listed in Jake Allen's Indianapolis Star article. That vehicle appeared on surveillance footage leaving the Abbey Meadows apartment complex around 2.37 a.m. Now, Detective Bokting says that the driver was identified and cleared. Police believe the vehicle had nothing to do with Kirsten's case.
1: When a case is unsolved, it's always difficult to judge the energy and resources the police are dedicating to the investigation from the outside. Having spoken with Detective Bokting, we're confident that she is putting a ton of effort into this case. That is heartening. We also know that Detective Bachting is currently running down a new lead.
0: Since that lead is currently actively being investigated, Detective Bakhting couldn't divulge much about it to us. But our sense is that the ongoing investigation has begun to point to the possibility that this was a crime of opportunity.
10: Yeah, there's been some additional evidence that's been brought to my attention. I've not been able to review it yet. I should be getting that in a short time, and hopefully that will produce a solid lead to taking it uh, investigation further.
1: We asked Detective Bachning what she needs from the public.
10: If anyone saw Kirsten Brueggemann walking up down Short Ridge from 1230 to 3, 3 a.m., and we would like to know that because um, she was walking up and down the street and then into the uh, parking lot. So if anybody happened to be driving by and see that, even if they don't know that was her, if they saw a person, I would like to know that. A lot of people like to brag about what they've done. So if anybody's heard anybody talking about the Kirsten Brueggemann case or the Brueggemann case or the girl with the or brown hair, um, I'd like to know about it. Sometimes people do talk, but as far as vehicles go, I really don't think that there's going to be any information on vehicles. I would like for them to call 317-327-6160. That goes straight into our office. Um, that phone gets answered from 8 to 4, and the, there's always a detective on call after those hours, and... If they need somebody to talk to right away, they can either have a, or talk. They can either talk to an on-call detective or they can call the non-emergency number 317-327-3811.
6: Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment.
0: Back in July of 2022, Kevin and I went to the Irish Mutt with Tony and Fiona. We ate dinner there. It was a pretty nondescript pub. The crowd seemed to skew middle-aged for the most part. It was not a raging or rowdy place, although we were there at dinner time, not later at night. Yeah.
1: Our waitress remembered the broad outline of Kirsten's case, but was not able to talk much about it. After eating, the four of us headed out to the cracked parking lot that encircles the mutt. From there, we walked through a series of lots.
0: Tony pointed out other security cameras in the area. Fiona highlighted the possibilities of what could have happened to Kirsten. The sky was still blue and the air was warm but the isolation of the area was a bit creepy. It's just a sea of black and gray, dotted by a few large, quiet commercial buildings, sitting in the distance like silent islands.
1: There was one labeled Family Fun Sports that looked closed. A bowling alley with a smoker hanging alone outside. An almost deserted car wash, where a scantily clad woman and a rather embarrassed-looking man scurried out of one of the stalls as we walked by. Then we crossed Shortridge Road and headed to the Ransburg Y. That building is nestled within a tidy lawn. We passed a few families bringing their kids to the pool on the hot summer's day in July. Obviously, things would look a lot different at night in January.
0: On a gray pole outside the Y, we saw a familiar face. Kirsten Bruggeman stared out at us from a faded, dirty missing poster that had obviously been taped there some time ago. We all stood there for a moment and then kept moving through the Wise parking lot. A fence divides the Wise property from the Abbey Meadows apartments next door. But if you move behind the Wise dumpsters, you'll find a passage through. There's a gaping hole in the chain link fence there. It's almost person-sized, and it's eerie to see. If you walk around the dumpsters and through that gap, you'll find yourself in the Abbey Meadows lot.
1: That's something that a lot of people, both Detective Bochting and the sleuths, have often pointed out. Kirsten was last seen in the Y lot. According to Detective Bochting, Kirsten was last seen on the camera trained on the fenced-in Y lot, and that the video went in and out, due to a fault with the camera. The sleuths have wondered if she could have exited the lot through the hole near the dumpsters. We ended up crossing through the fence ourselves. We then made our way along the Abbey Meadows apartment and then back to Shortridge Road. It was eerie to walk around the area that a woman vanished from.
0: Before we go, I will say that this is a case that I feel a strong connection to. I've been candid on this show about my own alcoholism. I've been over two years sober now. I can say that my alcohol abuse manifested itself in a way that leads me to very much relate to Kirsten's story. In college, when my drinking started to become, let's say, problematic, I would down a whole thing of Jameson at parties. Then at a certain point, when my anxiety was burning too hot, even when I was surrounded by friends, I'd abruptly duck out. I'd wander around in the night. I'd end up on unfamiliar streets or in a cluster of woods. A few times, concerned friends would actually chase after me, and I'd actively sprint away from them. Whenever someone offered to help me when I was in that mindset, I just felt like a burden. Like they were just being nice to me because they felt sorry for me. My Irish goodbye routine, as people called it, kind of became a joke at the time, and I encouraged the people I knew to see it as something funny and silly. That all is to say that Kirsten's story really resonates with me. When we talk about some of Kirsten's personal struggles, just know that we're not sitting here judging her. I'm not alone either. Kirsten's story speaks to a lot of people. The fact that a group of individuals from very different walks of life have all dedicated so much time to studying her case is a testament to that.
1: And it's likely that more people will become interested in the case in the coming days, there's currently another major wave of media attention in this case. It was just featured in the Indianapolis Star again, with reporter Claire Rafford writing an article on the case. Disappeared also ran an episode on Kirsten's story. And that's a show we regard as the pinnacle of televised true crime programs, for its grounded and responsible coverage. All of that makes us hopeful that Kirsten's friends and family will get answers one day. Here's Tony.
9: And I think this is a very solvable case. Public awareness is like um, an important thing about cases. This is not the Delphi murders, which is, you know, front and center around the world. You know, a lot of people don't know about this case. Someone may have seen or heard something that was driving through that area that night and um, or was, you know, just looking out their window. So it's possible that someone just didn't realize what was happening. And so hopefully, you know, podcasts like this and um, public awareness will uh, help law enforcement close this case.
0: The key thing is making sure that the facts of the case get into the right hands. Everyone we talk to urges people to err on the side of sharing information with the police. Here's Fiona.
8: I feel like people assume that law enforcement just already knows stuff and knows everything, but just from following other cases in the past, it's just like this big puzzle that if we can just put all the pieces together and there's some patterns of things that they can see, that little bit of information might be exactly what they need to kind of connect the dots to something they might already be following or maybe a completely new thing. So I guess it's just to report anything, anything that if you have connections to her or the situation, um, I don't feel like it's getting talked about enough. So I think people think either they figured it out or it's just, you know, we're just going to let it go. And I don't know. It's just I feel like there's a lot more information that we're missing and any kind of information if you have something to share it. I think is really important for people to remember.
0: Here's Fred. Yeah, it just seems
7: heartbreaking, um, you know, to think of what her family must be going through. I have kids, and, I, you know, I I couldn't imagine what they must be going through and how they feel with all this, uh, with her disappearing like that. Um, It it must be heart-wrenching. In a, you know, and I just want to try to help find find her so they can have some closure so she can be brought home um, you know or, or at least found and, and bring those people that are um, responsible to justice.
0: Specifically, residents who live in that area in the Abbey Meadows Apartment complex should get in touch with the police if they have any information. Here's Jake.
4: You know, I, I think the the biggest thing would be um, just people that maybe lived in the Abbey Meadows apartment complex at the time, if they had seen or heard anything. I know it's been a couple of years, but I think that um, is really what would push the case forward is if people that were there that night and might still remember something, even though it's and you know, a couple years uh, if they came forward with information, because um, otherwise I'm not really sure uh, how this case is going to be resolved, if not for uh, tips from people that might have been in the area that night.
1: Kirsten was going through some struggles in life, but she did not deserve any of this. She was a woman who was
0: loved. The love that Kirsten's parents have for their daughter also motivates detective Bokting.
10: let's see I, I came into the unit about 2018. She's the first case that I have that um, not been solved. so time is ticking by and for the parents I would really like to get this you know finished
1: before we go. Let's hear from Lisa and Rex one more time. At the time of her disappearance, Kirsten's parents had not given up on her. They were still hopeful that she could fight some of her demons and find lasting happiness.
2: Like I always say, we, we still love loved her and we're hoping that she would turn her life around. And even if some of her struggles and negative behavior in some way played a part in her going missing. Nobody deserves to go missing. That, that's just the bottom line. And, and like this, we have no idea what happened to her. It's, it's torturous. Have you covered any other missing cases? I,
0: I have, yes. Uh, a, a case of a young woman out in Massachusetts from the 70s.
2: Okay. it's, a, it's a, well, I, I'm repeating myself what I said in some of the newspaper archives, TV stories. Interviews too. It's just a different kind of pain. It's, it's, it's horrible. You can't describe it. Not knowing where she is or what's happened. Um, you know, you can't have any closure as, as the saying goes. And we're just, you know, that's why we decided to do this stuff, but we kind of, uh, stay, uh, out of the limelight, so to speak, first few months because I think we were unrealistically thinking that you know we'd, we'd find something out right away and or she'd come back, and then uh, we realized that to increase our chance at, of finding her or that somebody might contact the authorities, we had to start getting more public with it. That's why we did the TV spots and newspaper. And talking to you, and I've some other things. We had a little vigil, too. Uh, just, you know, the more information we can get out there, the best. So I, I want to thank you, too, if you, you decide to go ahead with the podcast on this subject. Yeah, well, it's definitely made us both uh, more empathetic, sympathetic with other people that have missing loved ones or friends. I mean, and I, I had no idea to this happened to us uh, what it could do to you due to your life. Plus, I had no idea there was that many people missing out there. I mean, it's just amazing If you, you know, read about it, it. Which you probably already know. I'm preaching to a choir here, but it's just, God, there's a lot of people missing.
0: We ended by asking Rex and Lisa what they'd say to Kirsten if they could speak to her now.
3: I'd say, it doesn't matter what you What's happened or anything, we'll work everything out. We
1: just want you to come home. Kirsten needs to be found. Watch the Disappeared episode that just dropped focusing on her case. Share her missing flyer on social media. Share the star's coverage of the case. Join the official Kirsten Bruggeman Missing Discussion Group on Facebook. If you know someone who lives on the east side of Indianapolis, let them know about this case. Keep talking about it, and keep looking.
0: Let's find Kirsten. She walked out into the darkness on a winter's night and never came back. Let's shine a light and bring her home.
1: If you have information on Kirsten's disappearance, call IMPD's Missing Persons Unit at 317-327-6160. You can also email missingpersons at indie.gov.
0: We'd like to thank Rex and Lisa Bruggeman for taking the time to speak with us. We know that talking about this was not easy. We admire their advocacy for their daughter.
1: Thanks also to Jake Allen for his insight and excellent reporting. We're we'll linked to his article from March in our show notes. Thanks also to Claire Rafford for her recent follow-up article.
0: And of course, we're thankful for our friends Tony, Fiona, and Fred. We very much appreciate their tremendous research and dedication to this case. To our surprise, we've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So, if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murder sheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murder sheet. Thanks for the interest.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com.
0: To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.